if you think data is just going to come pouring in and you're going to use it and drive your business forward without taking any action on your side, it's just going to fail. And I think a lot of people get into this not really knowing that there is work here, right? Despite all the automation, machine learning, all this stuff, there's still work to be done. Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Today's guest is Chad Hawkinson, the Chief Product and Data Officer at Vertifor, the leader in creating modern insurance technology. A seasoned data and analytics leader, Chad has seen firsthand the profound impact data-driven insights can have on customer success and, by extension, a company's. Chad brings deep experience with AI and ML technologies in the energy, aerospace, defense, automotive, and construction industries to help agencies discover new opportunities to drive business growth by leveraging insights previously hidden deep within their data. On this episode, Chad and Cindy discuss how the cloud makes it safer to use sensitive data when it was long feared it might do just the opposite. They discuss everything from alleviating client concerns about the use of this data to securing it from cyber attacks. And yes, there's an insurance policy for that. They also talk about the value of streamlining data collection into everyday workflows rather than making it a separate headache for the client to manage. Plus, Chad shares the three components responsible for the 38% failure rate of analytics investments in insurance and what can be done to fix them. All of that and more on today's episode with Chad Hawkinson. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and Medtronic use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Today, I'm excited to introduce everyone to Chad Hawkinson, Chief Product and Data Officer at Vertifor. Welcome, Chad. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Chad, are we really going to talk data or are we going to talk skiing? (laughs) Well, given that it's uh, almost 100 here, I would love to talk about skiing. Yes. but so, So you're calling in from Colorado, right? Correct. Yeah, just outside Denver. But you also cut your teeth skiing in the Northeast. That's true. Yep. I'm a Poconos train skier. I should say ice skier. Yes, ice skier. So, okay. So Camelback or Hunter? What were your favorite mountains out here? Yeah, I was Camelback. A little bit of Shawnee. Shawnee. Yes, we still love Shawnee. And can I even call them mountains? Or now that you're out (laughs) west, it's probably hills. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. The skiing out here is great. And uh, I think I we, we talked earlier, my son, when he uh, was skiing with me out here in Colorado, he hit a nice patch. It's like, Dad, what is that? And I'm like, son, that is what I grew up skiing on. That's that's back east skiing. Yeah. They, they have no idea how lucky they have it out there. So what would be your favorite, Steamboat or Vail? We love both of them. We usually go to Copper because they have a great kids program and uh, it's pretty close. And so we're a Copper family, but uh, I love them all. Skiing in Colorado is good no matter where you do it. Yeah, good. But when it's hot out, I guess it's more hiking or do you do the white water rafting out there? Yep. Yep, we do. Yep. And it's the snow melt has uh, been coming off the mountains and uh, 
it's been a good whitewater rafting season, although I haven't done it yet this year. Yeah, yeah, good. So, Chad, tell us a little bit, first off, Vertifor, serving the insurance industry, but tell us a little bit about what you do with data there. So Vertifor is a, uh, a great software company that uh, serves the insurance industry. And essentially what we do is we help optimize, automate, simplify the insurance distribution channel. So think insurance agents and think about the insurance carriers that they do business with. How do we help all of them come together much more tightly? And how do we help insurance agencies run themselves so that uh, they have the best businesses they can? So that's what we do. And uh, we've been doing it for 50 years. And we support almost 40% of the US insurance industry through our systems. And so if you know anything about insurance, you know it's a crazy amount of data, you know it's a crazy amount of paper, a lot of uh, process heavy work, and it throws off a ton of data. And if you think about 40% of the US insurance industry flowing through our solutions, you get your idea that there's a ton of data coming through here that we could potentially leverage to create some insights that help our insurance agents and uh, insurance carriers run themselves better. Thanks for explaining that. So if you imagine, I know you can't give us customer names, but if you imagine (laughs) in our house, we're lifelong Allstate customers and our broker is an agent of Allstate. So what type of data are you sharing with the broker and then the underwriters? Yeah, so uh, we, our insurance agents focus on personal lines, we would call that. So for your own home and auto policies, that's what we call personal lines. And then there are commercial lines. So for example, your company or my company, when we buy insurance so that when uh, somebody trips and falls in the office, we're covered or from cyber attacks and things like that. So that's commercial insurance and then health and benefits. So uh, the benefits insurance that you uh, that cover your medical plans and so forth. So we're supporting our insurance agents through all of those different types of policies. All of them. Okay, so that is a lot of data, especially health insurance now. Yes. Are you also helping with the risk profiles or tell us the type of data? So let, let's say <laughs> my, I think my neighbor's having a midlife crisis. He, he just came home with, are you ready for this? A 1972 Mach 1 Mustang red. Wow. And he's got a 16 year old in his house. I said, I hope you're not <laughs> letting him drive that, but t- take us through how would you enable data in that kind of transaction. Yeah. So uh, let's say you've got a brand new, or a a brand new, but a really nice Mach 1 from 1972. I have to insure it. And so I would call up an agent and try to get uh, insurance for the car. And so that initial interaction that I would have with that insurance agent, we would help that insurance agent capture some data about you so that I don't have to ask you to fill in all these endless forms. We would capture kind of some third-party data about you and help pre-fill that. We would then take that information, normalize it, cleanse it, and then send it off to a bunch of insurance carriers to get quotes back for you so that, wow, this one insurance carrier is charging you 5,000 a year. This person's charging you 2,000 a year, but there's maybe some coverage differences. What's the best option for you? And so we're using data to help facilitate that uh, transaction. And then when you uh, decide to actually choose an insurance company, we provide data to those insurance agencies that say, kind of like the Amazon model. So customers like you 
who buy this also tend to buy this. And so we can help you understand that if you're buying a Mach 1 and uh, you're insuring it, then you may be a high net worth individual. And so maybe you need an umbrella insurance policy, or maybe you are also a business owner on the side. And so we need some commercial insurance. So we help you understand the, the whole kind of perspective of that customer so that you can help identify their risks and best uh, serve those risks. Yeah, fascinating. So the third party data, this might be like your credit score. Um, credit, address, yeah. motor vehicle history. Population density. Yep, right. your zip code and all those kinds of things. So we're helping collect and gather that information so that we can really automate that contact between the end insured and their insurance agent. But when you ask about risk, really the risk models sit on the insurance companies. You mentioned Allstate. Right. So they've got, they take all this data and figure out kind of what risk this is and what prices they should give back to cover that risk. We help get that data to them, but that's really the Allstate job to, to go figure the, uh, the risk out. Although now that we have all this data, we can start helping that insurance agent say, hmm, this is a really good candidate. So maybe these three insurance companies are the best fit, knowing what I know about this person. Whereas, wow, this 16-year-old is trying to insure a Mach 1 and they've got 20 tickets. And uh, there's probably only these two insurance companies that are going to likely cover this particular risk. So we can help those insurance agencies start to understand where to best place those opportunities as well. Right. Wow. So cool. And what about the new data sources like the dongles from the cars? How fast are you actually driving? Are you hitting the brakes really hard? Things like this. Do you bring that into the equation too? We don't hear it Vertifor, uh, but some a lot of our carrier partners do. And so that's another indication of risk profile and uh, what ultimately should be the uh, the measure of that risk and how much you should be charged for that particular policy. So we don't collect that particular information because the insurance agents, think of the insurance agency as basically the sales arm for those, those carriers, those insurance companies like Allstate. And, uh, you know, their, their goal is to bring, you know, connect end users who have risks with the right place to solve those risks, provide them with the best service and ultimately the best uh, solution for their clients. So that's what we really focus on is connecting those different parties in the distribution channel. Yeah, interesting. And we find also with external data, or let's say personal data, people are willing to share it if they benefit from it, but they don't want to share it if they might be penalized. So that 16-year-old in the house down the street, I know he gets really good grades, so he's going to want to give you that data. Um, you know, he's he's not the risk-taking profile. Are you finding that or how do you account for that in sharing this data? There is always a personal aspect to this. And so we can transmit data and give you quotes and, and the whole process works. But let's say this 16-year-old this is a wonderful student that's not coming through in the applications. There's always that personal element of the insurance agent picking up the phone and calling the underwriter at the insurance carrier and say, hey, look, I know it's a 16-year-old kid. This is a Mach 1, and uh, but he's got great grades. And let me send you his transcripts, those kind of things. So there's always that personal connection that can help kind of massage these processes as they go. So data certainly helps and speeds the process and automates it. But that's one of the key values of an insurance agent is that they add that personal touch and add that additional level of care 
for, uh, you know, to ensure that your 16 year old can go drive his Mach 1. Oh, no, I think he shouldn't be allowed to drive it. <laughs> I told him, I'm like, that is a ticket just waiting to happen. Uh, you forget your turn signal, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, but so, and Vertifor also, you mentioned healthcare too, um, mm-hmm. or health insurance. And this year alone in a COVID world, the number of cyber attacks on health data has increased uh, dramatically how how do you think consumers healthcare professionals can better protect people and and why is this happening now well i think uh there's a couple things one is this is the most sensitive of data in the insurance industry right so it's got to be cared for with the most utmost caution right so uh, you need to think about where that data is stored and uh, how it's protected and who it's shared with and who it's not shared with, how you share it and uh, how you don't. All of those things need to be thought about with data at the first part. And so we have design principles that basically say we're not going to share anything unless this, this, and this is true, including have people actually agreed that we can share it, right? So, so the opt-in. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so the protections here, both contractually and technically, are really, really, really important and something that has to be taken into consideration from the very, very beginning. And so that's first and foremost. Second is, I don't know that it's uh, you know just now that there seems to be uh, a lot of uh, cyber attacks and things like that. I think there's just been an increase in this over time. And I think companies need to better protect themselves from that data. Uh, from those data breaches and things like that. And so you need to really take care and understand what all those risks are. It's our job as people handling data to understand what those risks are and protect our our folks against that. And then third, there are actually insurance products out there that help protect against cyber events and things like that, which is actually one of the fastest growing areas of insurance right now is to protect largely businesses, but also in some cases, personal from cyber attacks and uh, and the consequences resulting from them. So those are a few areas that you got to think about here. Yeah, good. So if you think about that second point you mentioned, protecting the data, if you think about the way the data and analytics market has changed, even in the last year, but let's say the last five, if I go back five years ago, there was uh, a resistance to storing highly sensitive data in the cloud now the journey to cloud has accelerated. So at Vertifor, do you feel like this is a good thing or is it a loss of control? And how do you protect it when maybe you don't own the physical data centers? Well, we actually have a, a combination of our own internal versus uh, as cloud as well. And so we think about that choice about where we put things kind of judiciously. I would say the movement of cloud has actually been a very great benefit to folks from a security standpoint, because you get the best of the best in terms of security protection by leveraging cloud. So if you're expecting each uh, individual company to be uh, responsible for best-in-class security, then I think that introduces risk. Whereas if you can leverage some of these cloud platforms, that that's their job and their focus area is, is specializing on the latest security technologies and ensuring that you're leveraging those and giving you the tools that you need to manage that. I actually think it's it's safer. It's, uh, it's better protected. And uh, you get to take advantage of the latest uh, threat identification and, uh, and resolution solutions by being in the cloud. And so there are certain times where the cloud 
is uh, is a great option, but sometimes there's there's uh, things you want to think about putting it in your own data center if you think that that's uh, a more uh, safe option for your clients and their data. Yeah, I like the way you frame it in terms of getting the best of the best and the latest. Like in the cloud, they're innovating faster. And I know in 2019, more of the data breaches were actually in on-premises uh, data centers rather than in the cloud. So it's almost like a, a misplaced fear. Or why do you think people are still afraid of putting all that sensitive data? Is it the loss of control or is it just they don't, they don't yet know. I think speaking of my own kind of personal scenario, I think it's all about you. Just, it's the control issue. I, I have no idea what you do with my data. I don't know where it sits. I don't, I don't know where my personal data is. I don't, who's got access to it? Is it, you know, are my passwords up on some dark website? I have, you know, I have no idea what goes on. And, and probably most of us don't really understand how this technology works and what the cloud is even. even. Exactly. And, <laughs> and so I think it's in a, I think it's in a fenced in, I saw a picture of the largest data center in Las Vegas. It's in a fenced in, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like a military compound, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, it's, yeah. uh, these these places are completely locked down. But you know, the way you break into a data center isn't necessarily physically anymore, right? It's uh, it's through the pipes going in there. And so, I think it's just that loss of control. You, you just don't know what people are using it for. So, if you know what you're using it for, right? When I'm putting information into an insurance quote, I know I'm using that to get a quote back, and that helps me. That facilitates my life. But what are what else are you doing with that data? And and do I agree to all those things? And so I, that's where I think, you know, just being incredibly clear with people about what goes on with their data and what happens to it and how it's used and how it's not used is really important. And I think most of these, you know, data agreements that you see that you sign up to all the time, right? I don't think they're clear in any real way to, to showing you how you use the data. And so I think that's if, if there's something that's going to help the industry use data better, it's being really, really specific in human language about what the state is used for and what's not used for and what you're signed up for and what you haven't signed up for. Um, so I think that's, those are some of the key aspects of, of, you know, thinking about how to use data. Yeah. And so the insurance sector overall is one of the most data rich sectors. Financial services would be another one, but um, there, there is a quote on your website that, 38% of analytics investments fail in insurance due to lack of adoption and process integration. So with such a high failure rate, what would you recommend to any data chief or data person or frontline decision maker in insurance? How do we, how do we flip this? How do we improve the success rate? So it's a great question. And I think there are a couple things to it that you really need to think about. And so I'll take it from the insurance agent standpoint. So there are roughly 36,000 agencies, insurance agencies in the US, and probably only the top 50 really have a data chief or somebody who's focused on data. The, the rest of the insurance agencies don't really have the wherewithal to really manage their data and leverage it as, a, as an asset that they can use to drive their business forward. But I will tell you, you know, for example, when COVID hit, one of the first questions insurance agencies asked themselves was, oh, no, what business do I have in the health or in the uh, restaurant and uh, travel space? And 
what do I need to do to help those clients? What do I need to do to think about my business and how it might be impacted by some of those? And so I think events like this teach you the kind of the value of having data at your fingertips, right? So to be able to quickly understand your business and where it is and what risks that you might have in that business really creates a use case that starts to bring home that value of data. And so without that sort of guiding light of what you want to do with data, most of these are going to fail. And most people say, well, I've got to use my data. So let's go look at some data without clear direction and what you're really trying to do and what the business goals of, of leveraging that data really are, then it's, it's likely to fail. So I think that's first and foremost is having a clear direction and a clear decision that, hey, this is data project has a lot of value. And so I'm going to do things different in my business to take advantage of that. So that's really first and foremost. If you think data is just going to come pouring in and you're going to use it and drive your business forward without really any taking any action on your side, it's just going to fail. And I think a lot of people get into this not really knowing that there is work here, right? Despite all the automation, machine learning, all this stuff, there's still work to be done. So that's first and foremost. Second is data quality. And so the first thing that uh, you know, a lot of agencies say when we show them some data and analytics, they're like, that data is not right. And like, what do you mean it's not right? It's coming directly from your systems and we're just showing it back to you. Well, that's not right. That's, that, there's no way that's right. Well, it's not right because you're not entering it right or you're not, your business processes inside your agency aren't capturing the data in the way that it should be captured. And so, of course, when we show shine a big shining light on this, that's where you start to see all your data quality problems. And so that's where a lot of people give up and say, oh, I can't clean all this data. What am I going to do about this? And so having thoughts about what am I going to do differently to drive data quality? And so it may be that I need to enter this field that I never entered before through this, uh, this process that I'm going through. So data quality is certainly the second piece. And then third, where I think a lot of analytics software vendors fail is that we provide analytics in this kind of separate solution over here. And uh, I know you can't see me here uh, pointing, but how do I know that I need an insight? And how do I know that, okay, I need an insight now. Let me go log into this other system, look for that insight, and then find it and then decide on how to act on it. That's asking a lot of somebody who's already busy doing their day job to really think that whole process through, be trained enough on the software and what it does, and then be able to leverage it. So the third thing I think to really crack this open is embedding that data and analytics in the workflow. And so this, keeping those separate is one of the reasons these projects fail from adoption because nobody wants to use them because they're doing something already and trying to use a separate tool. And so the more of these analytics that you can embed into the workflows, the more successful the, uh, the data and analytics project is going to be. So for example, for us, you know, if I'm, I'm working through a renewal, so next year, I'm working on this uh, Mach 1 automotive renewal. And wouldn't it be great if data and analytics popped up and said, hold on, this customer is likely to cancel on you. Why? Because that 16-year-old has been driving a lot, got in a couple accidents, and the rates went through the roof. And they're likely going to want to cancel that policy and find somebody else. And so if I knew that 90 to 120 days before that, maybe I could proactively go out and try to find a better option for that client, or maybe do something different that I wouldn't have done otherwise to try to save that client. And so seeing that come up in my workflow is going to allow me to take action and do something about it and help me adopt that data in a way that having the separate system that I have to remember to go log into won't. And so I think those are the, the big three things. One, 
really having that executive alignment. What are we going to achieve here and what's the value? Second, recognizing that there is work involved to improve the, the quality of your data. And then third, embedding those data and analytics into the actual workflows that people are using to help drive their businesses forward. Yeah. So Chad, and we haven't even met, but uh, uh, aligning to business outcomes is one of the most important things that I talk about. The data quality, there's a lot of arguments about this back and forth because um, so if, if you do have bad data, do you wait to expose it or how do you ever fix it? What would you say to that? Well, I think a couple of things. So again, we're a software vendor, so we view it as our role as helping folks in this. And so we leverage some algorithms and some machine learning and some third-party data to help kind of cleanse and enrich some data. So, you know, some of the easy kind of industry examples, hey, we're selling to IBM, then I call it IBM in this one place, but I call it international business machines in the other place, right? So, um, you know, helping cleanse that data. Those are some things that technology can do for you. And pulling in some third-party data, like uh, industry classification is one of those things that's notoriously hard to do. I don't know if you've ever tried to assign yeah, a yeah. six-digit NAICS <laughs> code to, uh, to a company. It's really, really hard to do. And so that's another thing where technology can help. So technology can help with data quality through cleansing and enriching for sure. But if I'm not entering that information in at all, and there's no real easy way to go get that information somewhere else, then those are the places where process is going to have to change within your organization. And so we've actually developed a number of data quality reports that can tell our customers to say, hey, look, we, we were able to, to fix these 10 of your, uh, your fields that we need, but these other 10, you're going to have to change your business processes to adjust. And so that's where I think technology can help. And that's a journey. So as you mentioned, why can I wait or should I wait until this is all fixed? And I think that's an error that some people um, make is because there is no such thing as perfect data. If you wait until data is perfect, you will never ever uh, actually engage on a data and analytics project. And so you've got to find kind of the basic insights that you can get out of it using the data quality you have, prove business value, show adoption that, hey, by doing this, we actually drove our business forward. Hey, we renewed more of our clients. We sold more policies. and by doing that, that creates the organizational desire to then try to do some things differently. Okay, I, I kind of see the value of doing it differently over here. So let me do some of these other things now to add incremental value. So I think getting what some of those early wins with the data you can get your hands on and then building from there is really critical. Yeah, so I agree. And I think sometimes showing it to them. So master data is is easier to clean up, I think, process data where you're not even capturing it or where people are outright putting in fake data. Uh, one of my customers said, I've never seen so many customers named Fred Flintstone in our system when they were just trying to get samples out to them because they just had to stuff in any old customer name. So I think sometimes shining a light on that is the only way to incentivize the people that are responsible for capturing that data. So somebody, another guest on the Data Chief described this as, as long as the data quality is directionally accurate, that's a reasonable starting point. Do you agree with that or disagree? I agree with that, but you have to understand that when you use the data, right? Yeah. If you're underwriting a policy, don't, <laughs> don't charge me out the wazoo and it's bad data, right? Exactly. So you have to understand the limitations yeah. of that. But if you understand the limitations and the users understand the limitations, then great. You know, absolutely a, a great approach. 
The other thing to think about is how do you use data in aggregate? Because that's another thing where individual data may have some 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 issues with it from a quality perspective, but if you add it all up, you get the the benefit of large numbers and you start to be able to get trends and directions from data at the aggregate level that you might not see at the individual data point level. And so I think that's another way you can think about it. Well, can I look at it at an industry level rather than at a an atomic level of how this uh, this data can help me? So for example, what's going on with restaurants and hospitality given COVID over the last two months? That's something that data that may not be great but boiled up together and aggregated together could give you a story about what's going on here and should I be doing something different? Is it holding? But and and so that's another way to think about it as well. Yeah. Or I, you know, the flip side though of the aggregates. So at ThoughtSpot, our CEO would talk about the tyranny of averages, or even, you know, competing on analytics, author Tom Davenport would say it's really only the granular level of data that gives you the best insight. So maybe that the 16-year-old driver, he's a safe bet, but on average, in the aggregate, boys, 16-year-olds are not a safe bet. Or, you know, restaurants, restaurants now in certain areas, in a rural area, maybe in Montana, they're doing okay. But in LA or Miami, they're not. So it's, it's both. Yeah, could agree more, right? And I think that's an element of the data journey, right? Um, really being able to understand that this 16-year-old's good bet is made easier when you actually have the aggregate data and can compare individual data points to the aggregate and be able to draw some of those specific conclusions out. So I agree. It's you know we think about the data journey. You know how much and of these kind of things can you do over time? Ultimately, that's what you want to get to is really being able to look at the finest level detail and really understand uh, is is this telling me something different than those averages or aggregates would tell me? And so that's why I think in in response to the you know how to think about the data quality journey and should I wait? These are just some of the things that you can do over and over time as you prove value and yeah, uh, and yeah. adding in those capabilities. Yeah. And the third thing you talked about, embeddability, embeddability or insights in context and what you described with the broker, the insight to action, that is the ultimate reason why we even use data. And yet, so I do think you mentioned there's the technical challenges of getting the insights embedded when you're doing that quote renewal, but is it also changing people's behavior that cultural thing with the broker that the data will tell them something they didn't know. Is it changing their behavior or how do we address that? Or is it totally just technology? If the technology got better embeddability in an operational app, we'd be there. They would take the automatic best action. Well, I think when data findings don't match intuition, that's when you have the problem, right? And so a lot of these insurance agents, and at least in our case, have been in the job for 10, 15, 20 years, and right? They all understand how this process works, but the data might actually indicate that there should be they should be doing something different. And if this is the first time you're ever using data and you see something that's finding, you're just the first thing you're going to say is that data's wrong. Ah, that's what the machine tells me to do. I don't buy it. This is the way we've always done it. And we're going to go uh, we're going to go do it the way we've always done it. And so 
you've got to build the credibility of that data. And so being able to show how it actually supports some of the things that are kind of true and then starts to indicate ways in which you can do your job better. Like, hey, you know, you used to take five minutes filing that email. I can just file it for you. I can just take that email from the client and put that policy where it belongs and you don't need to be involved. And being able to show that I can do it accurately and they can win over and say, okay, I don't need to actually file that away. I can trust the machine to file it away, right? And uh, the second is when I start to get those uh, those data and analytics, like this customer is likely to cancel on you. No way. This Bob's been my customer for 20 years. There's no way he's going to cancel on me, but Bob cancels on you. And so st- starting to get where those those data actually shows you something that actually, you know what, maybe I don't completely understand all of the facets of what's going on and how this data might be able to help me foresee things that I didn't able to foresee, getting those wins in with your population. The wins or the burns? Do we need the cancellation? I'd rather not the cancellation. I'd rather more the wins. Exactly. But sometimes it takes that to kind of prove the value of data, right? People don't automatically trust the data from the uh, from the get-go. You got to build that trust. Yeah, yeah. So well said. So it's interesting too, Chad. You're so we're talking insurance a lot, but insurance is new to you. You came more from the energy and manufacturing sector, right? Take us back in time. Tell us about that. Uh, mechanical engineer coming out of college. I love uh, engineering. I've been an engineer. Just uh, I'm an engineer. It's just kind of the way I think. It's the way I do it. And uh, so I spent most of my career developing software and analytical solutions for the manufacturing and engineering space. So you know the big uh, airlines, the big uh, aerospace manufacturers, the big energy companies. And uh, you know it's, it's fantastic. The use of data in some of these places is just crazy. And uh, I feel like we've really helped in, in, in some real ways. You know, when I think about the airlines, you know, one of my favorite examples that I worked on at my last company, IHS Market, partnering with one of the, the largest airlines is, you know, when you're sitting there in your chair in a plane waiting for the, the flight to go off and, you know, your departure time's come and gone, the door still isn't closed, you're wondering what's going on. And suddenly the captain comes on and says, hey, uh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but the lights come on in the, in the cockpit and I got to get maintenance involved. And so from that point, there's a ticking clock. So basically, if you don't solve that maintenance problem in the next three or four hours, depending on a a number of factors, you got to cancel the flight. And so that causes a lot of problems to you as a traveler when they cancel that flight. Also, it costs a ton of money to the airlines when they cancel a flight. And so you've got this window of time to be able to, uh, to fix this problem. And it turns out that the vast majority of that time is just spent trying to find the the way to diagnose the problem and the procedure to fix it. The actual fixing of the problem doesn't usually take that window. So it's this, how do I find the information I need in order to fix it that takes all the time? And so if I'm able to compress that time spent finding this information, I've got a lot more time to fix problems and I should be able to improve my my on-time performance and improve my flight cancellation and improve my service that I'm ultimately delivering to us as the uh, the flyers. And so we uh, went in with some major airlines and actually solved this problem because to find that information is crazy. It's all over the place. It's in 20 different systems, some of them inside the airlines, some of them outside the airlines. 
And then uh, finding that information, each airplane is its own serial number, its own unique configuration. So is this the right procedure for this particular aircraft? And so we were able to compress what uh, could be a multi-hour process down into minutes and get these people actually fixing these problems faster. And so we I felt really good because we actually made measurable improvements to the maintenance uh, records of some of these airlines. So that's just an example of where I come from. And so when we get into the insurance space, it's so much opportunity to take advantage of what's been done in other industries already before. And so I think that's really the opportunity within insurance is to take some of these great best practices that have really helped these companies in other places and bring them into insurance and uh, and to leverage them. And, and so that insurance can see some of the, the great benefits some of these other industries have seen. So lengthy story, but that's kind of the world I hail from. And uh, and and that's what I bring bring to me in this new endeavor. Yeah, no, that's great. For sure, uh, transportation and airlines, one of the most mature as it relates to data and analytics, but where data is everywhere. And a lot of it, not, not any one custodian, so really difficult. But how did you go from engineering to data? Was this a slow, um, natural evolution? Or was it just overnight, you said, yeah, this this would make engineering so be- so much better or this sector so much better i think it's uh it's not really a switch so much as it's a you know a, a waiting so engineering and science in general is all about data right so i've got a hypothesis i need data to kind of validate that hypothesis and uh and prove that's going right right engineering is des- you know putting in uh designs and then testing them and getting that data back and what do the test data tell you right so from the very beginning data has been a part of the engineering world and so 30 years ago uh you know when in and starting out in the uh, the engineering world the tools that to be able to leverage that data were just not what they are today right and so when i think about today and starting off and the tools that you have in engineering to be able to, to take advantage of that data and use it in in ways that drive your your business forward you know again just thinking about aircraft you know aircraft are one of the biggest you know put off some of the most data right you have the vast majority of our weather models are fed through real time data coming from aircraft that are flying across the, uh, the 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 world and the engines are spewing off all kinds of data to inform the maintenance of those engines and they're talking to satellites and and uh, there's just a crazy amount of data that's always been true but harnessing that data for actual you know real use is what I think's been newer. And so that's kind of the, the gravity of uh, the engineering world and into data and analytics is really what kind of pulled me in uh, more deeply into saying that, wow, a lot of these problems that we've been struggling with for a while could actually be solved by better harnessing the data. And so that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah, cool. So, and one of the other things that's interesting about our industry, one of my former colleagues at Gartner, he talks about the concept of um, the next generation chief data officers are really chief product officers, and your title combines both. So what do you think of this? And and if you think about um, where CDO started as just the gatekeeper of data, custodian of data, and then try to evolve to more business impact and now products, do you agree that this is where all CDOs need to go or is it different because Vertifor is a data company? I think it's a great question. 
And you know, when I think about data, I think data out of context and data out of workflow isn't nearly as valuable as data in context and data in workflow. And so I think that marriage between either the technology, kind of the CTO and CDO marriage, or the chief product officer and chief data officer marriage, I think getting that partnership right, if those are separate roles or the combination of those roles is really important because being able to take that data and actually do something with it and change the way in which people work and build strong businesses on the on the backs of that, I think it's really critically important that that partnership is there between those roles. Now, Vertifor is a little unique with that we've kind of combined those roles into one because it's, uh, you know, we... Our software basically is the way an insurance agency runs itself. And so when you think about data, it's uh, data that helps them run that agency better, whether it's more automation of those tasks or more insights. And so to be able to put those two things together, you really have to have that deep understanding of what the customer is actually trying to do, the value you bring as a company, and then how does data actually either change that or enhance that. And so that's why I think if it's if it's not necessarily the same role, that that deep partnership needs to exist between those functions. Yeah. So as somebody that now um, you've journeyed from engineering to full data, has there ever been a point in your career where you thought, no, I'm not going in, in this direction, too much power in politics, too hard or just wrong direction? I love what I do. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, the thing that drives me is is solving customer business problems, and uh, you know that's the engineer in me. You like to solve problems, mm-hmm. and uh, I found so many of these problems can be solved with data, and that's what's the exciting thing is this leveraging data to uh, to solve these customers' business problems. There certainly there are days when the data doesn't behave and do what you want it to do, and uh, you know the customers don't adopt what you think they should adopt, and uh, you know there are certainly those days. But that's uh, that's what makes this the the challenges and the jobs what makes it fun, because ultimately you see the value that you're driving. And the beautiful part about data is you can measure it, right? You yeah. can actually measure <laughs> the impact that you're having. And so when you actually do those measurements, it's pretty powerful. Or or can you measure it? Can you measure it or how do you measure it? Is it just ROI or is it that you see renewals went up or, you know, or going from hours to minutes? How do you measure it? Well, causality is certainly a challenge in many ways, right? But what we see are customers who adopt our data modules on top of their software that they buy from us today, they they perform significantly better than those who don't. And so... You could argue that, well, you know, the companies that are buying those things are kind of better run organizations to begin with. And so maybe that's why they're performing better. But when you look over time and kind of look at when they adopted these things and some of the changes they've made, you can start to draw some pretty strong correlations that some of this, uh, some of these data and analytics can actually drive the business forward. So for example, there's a, their cross-sell metrics. And so for us, a cross-sell metric is basically, hey, for this is how many products I sell to you as a consumer. And the more that I sell to you, obviously, the more money I'm making, but also the stickier you are, you're more likely to stick with me because, hey, I see the value. I'm buying more from you and I, I like my relationship with you. And so getting us able to sell more products or our insurance agencies to sell more products is a key measure. And so those companies that uh, that don't use our cross-sell tools only sell about one6 products per customer. But those who do use our tools, it's upward of three that uh, products that they sell to their customers because they're able to actually you know, leverage data to suggest that, hey, you know what? You, that Mach 1 you have, 
your dad probably wants an umbrella policy with that too, yeah, to yeah. kind of really protect you. And so really being able to draw those, those things together to, to, to better off those products. So we can see those really strong correlations and the Holy grail of course, is the causality of those. And so we're always trying to pr- prove the causality of those, but uh, that's, that's where I can see the, the benefits and what we do. Yeah. So then I'd say, well, okay, with, with such a hard, clear business benefit, why would a customer not buy that cross-sell product from you? They can't afford it or they're not ready for it. Insurance industry has been doing really well. Yeah. And, so if uh, you're making so money. <laughs> exactly. People are, people are doing pretty well. Yeah. And, and so do they need to make an investment here uh, versus somewhere else? Like maybe building a new office, hiring a new uh, sales team, hiring new technology, you know, phone systems for the office. Those are some of the things that may, they may see more direct benefit from, given that things are going pretty well. I think you, you know many of these things kind of really show their value when things aren't going as well in, in, yeah. the, uh, in the industry. And so I think those companies are really forward thinking and really understand efficiency and automation uh, are the companies that are really setting themselves up for good, stable foundation for the future. And I think more and more people are learning that over time particularly now. Yeah. I think the, the needs for data right now are, are much greater than they were six months ago. For sure. And and so it makes me think two things. When we say sometimes you need a degree of pain to, to realize you have to work smarter. But the other thing, I think of some of my insurance customers over 20 years, and they would say our data, even identifying the customer's across different service lines, it's too much of a mess because maybe they've been siloed. Auto is one thing. Home and property is another. Business would be yet another. So maybe they they think they can't. They technically can't. Yeah. I think we uh, we absolutely see that. Like it's too daunting, right? You know, to your point earlier around, do I wait until my data is in a good shape or not? Do I uh, you know, is now the right time or, wow, I don't, this is, I've got so much other stuff. Do I can I really make time for this, this project? I think those are all natural reasons to, to not want to move forward. But I tell you just a little bit of it, of effort and focus can pay huge rewards when it comes to data. Yeah. Good. So it's such a fast paced industry, Chad, how do you keep up on the latest trends and where do you think the industry's going next? Huh? I think uh, how you stay abreast of the latest trends, uh, you know, it, to me, it all goes back to what customer requirements are and how are how are people trying to solve those requirements. So, talking to customers a ton, see what they're doing, talking to uh, partners and other uh, you know third parties out there, um, talking to those experimentation of different things. Hey, I, I heard this uh, this type of uh, you know machine learning model can really help out. So. Maybe we can uh, do a little pilot around that and see if that could really, uh, really drive some things forward. And so trying to do as much of that as possible. Um, but to me, it all comes from the customers and then kind of where the future is going. I think we've had a tremendous amount of gain in the tools and uh, that help you kind of manage data. And now it's kind of really getting data into the mainstream. And, uh, you know, so when I think about insurance agencies, more and more automation. So, you know, the people that are working insurance agencies don't necessarily want to be spending all their time inputting data into keyboards. They want to be out servicing their clients. They want to be 
providing real value to their their customers. And so the more of that we can take away and free people up to do what uh, is really the things that they want to do or passionate about and is drives a tremendous amount of value. So I think you're going to start seeing a huge wave of productivity gains start to come from all of these data and analytics projects that have been starting here. And so I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh, this is just going to drive huge gains because you're unlocking people to do things that drive even more value in ways that hasn't been before. So that's what I'm really hopeful about for the uh, the future. Are you envisioning more voice AI enabled interactions kind of so they're not at a keyboard even on their phone in the field or yes and we've done a, a fair amount of experimentation right we've had Alexa you know working with our software and uh, you know when you're in a call center and people are sitting next to each other and talking on the phone that can get interesting fast right yeah, with yeah. Uh, all the voice around so there are times when voice makes sense and there are times when it doesn't. Like if you're a producer or the sales rep for the uh, the agencies, and you're out uh, in your car, you know, trying to uh, prepare for a meeting with a client, then yeah, there's probably uh, using Siri or Alexa and and things like that uh, to engage is uh, is a wonderful way to think about that. We still struggle with training the the voice, right? So in my previous role. We were trying to use voice to drive some of these searches, like in the maintenance world, the the, the example I used for the uh, the airline. And we were one of the use cases was Boeing nose gear. And you know, Boeing aircraft and the nose gear is the, the front landing gear. And uh, so you'd want to say Boeing nose gear. And we could not get the voice engine to, to say anything other than blowing nose. <laughs> and so despite all the training okay. we did, we just couldn't solve that problem. And so there are times when data entry by voice has its challenges, but that's getting yeah. better and better. The NLP. libraries are getting better yeah. and better. Yeah. But uh, there, I don't think voice is completely there yet to really take hands off keyboards for the full day, but there are certainly use cases around voice that make a lot of sense. Yeah. So maybe more in the distant future. So if I think about kind of your three key takeaways, I like your message about cloud bringing best of the best. And then secondly, having a clear direction, a guiding light where data can be brought to bear. And then thinking about embeddability or insights in context. Is Would those be your same top three or what would be your other key takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I think uh, I- the last one, really the, the most important and how I really think about it is data becomes really valuable when it's embedded and in your workflows and your day-to-day job. And uh, that's what we're trying to achieve. And I think that's really when you unlock the value of these uh, these types of tools. And so I, uh, I certainly agree with how you've summarized it and uh, definitely just wanted to put the point on that last one because I think that's really the key. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Chad. So if you'll take the last question, I always like to end with in such a chaotic world, if you think beyond just the stock answer, what are you grateful for? What am I grateful for? Uh, You know, I think uh, when you look at the news today and you see the world, I'm kind of grateful for where we live today. I'm grateful for being here in the US. I'm grateful for... uh, you know, having the uh, ability to kind of live the way we do. And when I think about kind of specifically the last couple of months, I'm, you know, not having to commute into the office and uh, mm. is nice, nice seeing my kids throughout the day and, you know, I'm traveling and 
commuting, you don't see your kids as much. And so being able to see them more during the day is, you know, despite the, the terrible things that are obviously going on in the world, it's, uh, it's just nice to have more time with family yeah. through this process. And so if there's a silver lining to it all, that's probably it. I do hope it proves to be a longer lasting silver lining, kind of a reset on quality of life. And um, speaking of family, I'm thinking, so we started talking about skiing, but it's warm in Colorado now. And I was thinking of my most favorite hiking place, Colorado Springs near the Broadmoor. Mm. It's a long time back. Are, are you going to be hiking this weekend, do you think? Uh, this weekend, not sure, but the Broadmoor is a beautiful place. Uh, we actually, there's two big insurance events, one in the spring, one in the fall that are always held at the Broadmoor. And so I get the opportunity to stay down there. It's, uh, it's really great, but, uh, hiking there are in Colorado, there are 50 mountains above 14,000 feet and it's kind of a thing to try to climb them all. And so we're on, uh, number 13, trying to get to number 14 here, wow. uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So I don't know if it'll be this weekend. But uh, certainly before the end of the summer, we'll uh, we'll get up to our 14th. So what's the 14th peak then? What's the peak you haven't yet conquered? Well, I'm not sure. There's, you know, there's 36 that we need to, or 37 that we need to conquer still. So there's a lot of choice. <laughs> and so uh, some of them are easier to get to than others. And so we still haven't quite figured it out. But, uh, you know, my favorite, we just did uh, Grays and Tories where you get two of them in, in one hike. And uh, we ran into a bunch of mountain goats up there and, you know, on the single track trail and they're stopped looking at you. You're, we're stopped looking at them, wondering who's going to give way. And sometimes we give way and they would go by and sometimes they'd give way and we go by. But uh, it's definitely a unique experience hiking out here in Colorado. Yeah, sounds beautiful. Chad, thank you so much for being on The Data Chief. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation and uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or listen to more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout on Twitter at BI Scorecard. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.